Chapter 12. Dangers to Avoid Well, I cannot terminate these hints, often I fear too didactic and abrupt, upon the full use of one's time to the great end of living, as distinguished from vegetating, without briefly referring to certain dangers which lie in wait for the sincere aspirant towards life. The first is the terrible danger of becoming that most odious and least supportable of persons, a prig. Now, a prig is a pert fellow who gives himself airs of superior wisdom. A prig is a pompous fool who has gone out for a ceremonial walk and without knowing it has lost an important part of his attire, namely his sense of humour. A prig is a tedious individual who, having made a discovery, is so impressed by his discovery that he is capable of being gravely displeased because the entire world is also not impressed by it. Unconsciously to become a prig is an easy and a fatal thing. Hence, when one sets forth on the enterprise of using all of one's time, it is just as well to remember that one's own time, and not other people's time, is the material with which one has to deal, that the earth rolled on pretty comfortably before one began to balance a budget of the hours, and that it will continue to roll on pretty comfortably whether or not one succeeds in one's new role of Chancellor of the Exchequer of Time. It is as well not to chatter too much about what one is doing, and not to betray a too pained sadness at the spectacle of a whole world deliberately wasting so many hours out of every day, and therefore never really living. It will be found, ultimately, that in taking care of oneself, one has quite all one can do. Another danger is the danger of being tied to a programme like a slave to a chariot. One's programme must not be allowed to run away with one. It must be respected, but it must not be worshipped as a fetish. A programme of daily employ is not a religion. Now, you might say, this seems rather obvious. And yet I know men whose lives are a burden to themselves and a distressing burden to their relatives and friends, simply because they have failed to appreciate this obvious. Oh no, I've heard the martyred wife exclaim, Arthur always takes the dog out for exercise at eight o'clock and he always begins to read at quarter to nine, so it's quite out of the question that we should etc, etc, etc. On the note of absolute finality in that plaintive voice reveals the unsuspected and ridiculous tragedy of a career. On the other hand, a programme is a programme. And unless it is treated with deference, it ceases to be anything but a poor joke. To treat one's programme with exactly the right amount of deference, to live with not too much and not too little elasticity, well, that's scarcely the simple affair it may appear to the inexperienced. And yet, 
Still another danger is the danger of developing a policy of rush, of being gradually more and more obsessed by what one has to do next. In this way, one may come to exist as in a prison, and one's life may cease to be one's own. One may take the dog out for a walk, day to clock, and meditate the whole of the time on the fact that one must begin to read at a quarter to nine, and that one must not be late. And the occasional deliberate breaking of one's programme will not help to mend matters. The evil springs not from persisting without elasticity in what one's attempted, but from originally attempting too much, from filling one's programme till it runs over. Now, the only cure is to reconstitute the programme and to attempt less. But the appetite for knowledge grows by what it feeds on, and there are men who come to like a constant, breathless hurry of endeavour. And of them, well, it might be said that a constant, breathless hurry is better than an eternal doze. Well, in any case, if the programme exhibits a tendency to be oppressive, and yet one wishes not to modify it, well, an excellent palliative is to pass with exaggerated deliberation from one portion of it to another. For example, to spend five minutes in perfect mental quiescence between chaining up the St. Bernard and opening up the book. In other words, to waste five minutes with the entire consciousness of wasting them. The last and chiefest danger which I would indicate is one which I have already referred to. It's the risk of a failure at the commencement of an enterprise. Now, I must insist on it. A failure at the commencement may easily kill outright the newborn impulse towards a complete vitality, and therefore every precaution should be observed to avoid it. The impulse must not be overtaxed. Let the pace of the first lap be even absurdly slow, but let it be as regular as possible. And having once decided to achieve a certain task, well, achieve it at all costs of tedium and distaste. The gain in self-confidence of having accomplished a tiresome labour is immense. And finally, in choosing the first occupations of those evening hours, be guided by nothing whatever but your taste and natural inclination. It's a fine thing to be a walking encyclopedia of philosophy, but if you happen to have no liking for philosophy and have a liking for the natural history of street cries, much better leave philosophy alone and take the street cries. The End Thank mm-hmm. you.